1: Hello, everyone. It's Tom here. I produce Trolled with Tracy Ann Oberman. Uh, you're going to really love this episode with Nimco Ali. She's such an interesting and inspiring person. It's an absolute corker. Uh, this is just a warning, though. There is a very strong racial term that's used towards the end of the episode. So if you are offended by that or you have a problem with that or you're not in a place where you want to be listening to that, then this is your warning. Enjoy the app. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of Troll, the podcast that likes to take a breather from the battles of social media and try and work out how we can get some sensible behaviour happening online and also in real life. My name is Tracy ann Oberman, and joining me this week, I am really thrilled to welcome a woman who has been on my radar for a long time. I came across her on Twitter, which is uh, my social media um, (laughs) platform of choice, as you know. Um, She's an incredible woman. She's a social activist, and on her own Twitter bio, she calls herself the Chief Fanny Defender. It's Nimco Ali, O-B-E. Hello, Nimco. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy that you're here. I've really... uh, you, You... You popped up on my radar, Early Doors, um, on on Twitter, and I've followed you ever since. You've got a really strong and clear voice, and... For people that don't know m- that much about you, explain how you turned, how you became the woman that you are. Your personal experience. Yeah, so
3: I'm an anti-FGM activist, and um, ultimately, I had FGM when I was seven years old, and it was something that really formed the basis of my life to this day. Because in searching for answers, I found the real injustices that there are out there in the world, specifically for women and specifically for girls who are from marginalised communities. And um, coming from a community where 98 percent of the women have been cut, and then being raised in a country where like you know very minute number of women have been I've always been in this kind of very interesting space of trying to always find an identity but also hold true to who I am mm-hmm. and I think that's what kind of really stands out and there's a and I think sometimes what, what, what the the um, the reality is that to, to be an individual within a collective is something that's quite disconcerting for a lot of people so I do seem to just rub people up the wrong way by just being who I am or just asking <laughs> questions
2: so, uh, how, where were you born, and where, and how old are you when you came here? Yeah, so
3: I was born in Somaliland, which is like the capital of that city is called Hargeisa, and I came here when I was four. But we, were, but we used to travel back and forth between Dubai, Somaliland, and the United Kingdom. And were you cut in Somalia? I was cut in Djibouti. So on our way back for the final time, civil war broke out, um, and I think what um, civil war broke out in in the late eighties. And on our way back, it was kind of one of the kind of lasting things that happened to me in Africa was that I survived this very brutal and tribal civil war and this really acts against my femininity happened to me and from the age of seven, I've just been really, like, you know, searching for my were kind you, of... Were
2: you that young when you realised yeah. that an injustice had been done? It, it, I
3: didn't really think about it as an injustice. I just thought it was really painful and it was really stupid. And mm-hmm. I was very much... I, cause my mother, who was also very young at the time, who was gripping with a lot of things, didn't have the answers. And I'm just thinking, looking to her. And then my very um, English, um, like, in a Manchester community, didn't have the answers. So for me, as a seven-year-old, I think with children is you ask questions in order to kind of find your kind of moral guidance within the world and nobody would actually say anything to me that actually made sense or anything that Um, I could really understand, and for me, it was that lack of information that led me onto the path that I am today.
2: How did you find your own moral and understanding of where you were in the world?
3: Um, I think it was reading. I think George Orwell was very helpful. Um, Finding 1984 as a very young, like, you know, um, 9, 10-year-old was very interesting for me. Um, Animal farm, and I think the last... um, like, you know, 18 months in the political um, sphere has been very much 1984 and Animal Farm. Uh-huh. And this whole thing of, am I actually going crazy or are people refusing to see
2: the realities that are right in front of them? There's a double thing that has gone on over the last few years. Yeah. It's extraordinary, so isn't it? So
3: it's, it's just been really um, interesting. And and, and and I think because of who I am and what I am, I challenge a lot of people misconceptions.
2: Well, that was a thing. I think, and, and actually it was sort of early doors... Very early doors yeah. on Twitter, you you came into my um, my vision for the FGM work yeah. actually more than more than anything political, mm-hmm. and also all the c- um, campaigns and bodies that you'd spearheaded. This yeah. young, powerful woman, um, and so, but you had a very there was always a very clear sense of who you were yeah. and what your bottom. You were never afraid of anybody, and actually, you led the way for me because yeah. I was thinking if this young woman can speak out and be so funny and slaying in the way she'll put people down yeah. and tackle them then i you know i can find a level of bravery what made you that brave I think um, it was, uh, so I started the activism
3: when I was um, in my uh, mid-twenties, just so I basically had the FGM, and I had a really invasive form of FGM, which um, meant that at the age of 11, I almost died, and and then I was in a major hospital in, in Cardiff, and I remember people just looking at me, and I was just saying, okay, for the last, like, three, four years, I've been trying to communicate something that I, that I wasn't able to show you, but now as medical prof- professions, you can see my anatomy is not normal, and there's something really weird has happened to me like help me basically give me the information I didn't want them to basically fix it I just wanted them to kind of con- put it into a context so I could understand and that was what was really interesting because my mother never said to me this is right and this is amazing so you need to accept it and a mm-hmm. lot of my friends were raised in that kind of context so seeing that as an 11 year old like these adults who were afraid to even speak about what had, like you know, what 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 they were physically seeing, really was a really isolated moment. And it was in that that I kind of found my own way of. I, I think my um, history teacher, who's been a very formidable force in my life, you used to say, "Planet Limca Population One." <laughs> so I'd always be, I'd always be in that kind of space. But I think a lot of the things that I used to do um, in, t- in terms of being um, kind of controversial within school and everything else, it was it was quite funny because I I did believe in it, but I was. Also, just being a bit of a dick in the sense that I'd be in a school in the middle of Cardiff. It was a grammar school. It was a good school, but I'd be the only person, like you know, that would say, "But what about what about the state of Israel's right to exist?" And they're like, "What the fuck are you talking about? You're a Muslim. Like, why are you saying this?" Wow. And you know, because it was just for me. It was always taking that, like you know, the underdogs side. Or when we went to um, church, having a conversation about that. When we were talking about Islam, I went. So I was very much I was educated Catholic, raised a Muslim, and grew up with a lot of. Um, very diverse um, Jewish community in 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 Manchester, and so for me, I was always very much this like odd one out. I was always you're this-
2: the living dream, though. I mean, the fact that you've not been, you've not been. Forced, or you have not allowed yourself just to go down one narrative, one exact narrative. But
3: you know, a lot of people have tried that. I have tried. Like, you know, I grew up around very blatant, flippant anti-Semitism, and mm-hmm. it's something that happens on a day-to-day basis in the communities that I'm from. I've, I've, I've grown up in a way where I was meant to just accept my, my lot as a, as a woman, and like, you know, FGM is what happens to you. That's it. You can't, like, you know, search for any kind of like, you know, body autonomy. So I was always given these kind of spaces of the fact that I'm like, I really don't want to do that. I really don't want to be the one that just like puts on a headscarf and just and gets just on, gets with, on there, with it or just dates the guy because he seems to be okay. So I was always in that kind of... And were
2: you bullied in real
3: life? No, I wasn't. And it was really interesting. I think um because of the fact that I, I spent a lot of time on my own thinking, there was nobody to kind of like bully me in a sense that... Well, I was. It was quite funny. Um I I turned to, um, to weird eating disorders from the age of 11. Like, you know, I just... Ate my feelings yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the point where I was like yeah. massively obese by the time I was 14, and then I discovered um, weirdly enough to say I discovered bulimia as a teenager. Oh, okay. And my sister, with my 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 sister years later on said, "You'd had the whitest way of dealing with FGM. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people like act out, they do all these things. So I just yeah, there was there was a very kind of I was I was very comfortable in my own skin, and I think even though my mother was um, complicit and within the whole. She she was there when when I had FGM. She was also very much active, and knowing the only thing that she had power on was the ability to allow me to be educated freely. Right. So the fact that I had no kind of boundaries yes. meant that I was this really weird, like Somali girl. Which was the fact that um, coming coming into my twenties and graduating from yeah, university, and even to this day, people are are shocked that I'm Somali because I'm so different to the so different so different to everybody else is. And I thought that was what I thought that was what I found really problematic during this um, election was the fact that. The freedom to think outside the box is something that I very much fought for. And the idea that we were all just like hook, line and sinker, headscarves and wear, and all sh- um, voting for Jeremy Corbyn was something that really shocked a lot of people. So here's the thing. Um, when did you get onto Twitter? So I joined Twitter in um, 2012 in order to campaign around FGM because it's, it's one of the most direct means of actually challenging power. Yeah. Because you, you, you've seen the power that, that Trump yes. has. He can just yes. tweet, tweet whatever he wants to um, tweet.
2: And, and were you aware around 2012 that how much power that that medium would be for you? I, I would knew, give you a voice. I
3: knew, I knew how um, unregulated it was from ministers. So I had kind of worked in the civil service, so, so I knew in order to write to a minister, to have a conversation, to have their chief of staff, all that kind of like, you know, bullshit was like I knew the, the several layers of protection that ministers had. But then I also knew that in order to be a politician you have to have ego. So you'll always search yourself. And that comes up with that whole that Ed Balls situation where Ed Balls was searching his name to see what people were saying about him. <laughs> right. So they do that all the time. So there was a minister, um um Lynn Featherstone at the time, who tweeted something about FGM which was just so offensive. We've become friends since then. Um so she said um so she was in Africa and she'd sat under a tree with um, these like former cutters and men so then I tweeted and I said would you sit around with a bunch of paedophiles in a school and talk to them about paedophilia and she replied back to me saying um what do you know about FGM and have you been to Africa recently (laughs) and then I replied back and said don't out Africa me and that my FGM is an experience that I live on a day-to-day basis and then it was just shock did she apologize she we ended up she ended up like you know doing some of the most fundamental work on the issue when they were in the coalition but that kind of sent shockwaves through her comms team and everybody else because everybody can see that yeah, yeah everybody can yeah, see that a minister yeah. replied back to you so that's what so then i saw the power of twitter and and the ability to there's, there's a lot of white noise out there, but sometimes you can say that and there is somebody out there looking either for that comfort or somebody that's looking for that moment to be challenged, yeah. you know, kind of misconceptions about things. I
2: think with you, what I saw and I took lessons from was that you can puncture people's echo chambers mm. because people expected one thing from you yeah. and they got something completely different. I mean, explain your stance on... well. When was it, two questions, but the first question is, when did you first start being trolled or attacked on social media?
3: Um, So I was trolled physically first. And then, yeah, so I had, so when I first started, when I first started the conversation around FGM, I didn't want to do it because it was like something that I thought I could actually change. I just wanted to be able to use my privilege of being in civil service and all these things in order to change something. But it really shook a lot of people. So the idea, the fact that I was coming in and saying that FGM was a form of violence against women and girls. And what was really interesting, it was a really isolating moment, because the women and the people that I thought I would get support from, like the left, white working class feminism, we're just basically like, no, you're just de- demonizing a, um, a community that's already demonized. And the idea, the fact that everybody just assumed the FGM happened through ignorance. I'd spent almost like, by the, by the time I started my activism, I would spent almost 19 years, like, you know, consuming and thinking about my FGM. So it wasn't something that I thought... I wasn't like, oh, one day I thought, oh, FGM is bad. Let me do it. I would actually read, had conversations, and I. And it was I, your lived
2: experience it was my lived that ex- you could come to an understanding yeah, of where you.
3: Yeah. And and, I, and I'd research and I talked about it in a third person in a long for a long time because I didn't want to be associated right. with that brutal act myself. Um, so I was like, I wanted to define it as violence against women and girls, and nobody wanted to kind of hmm. um, listen or even say anything. And then it was really weird because I, w- I hadn't fully left my job yet. But then I was about to I was thinking about leaving this job because what happened was that in two thousand and seven I was in Bristol in a really good job in the fast stream in civil service and I went to a local city academy to talk to some Somali girls about aspirational like just having aspirations to go to a different university. And there was fourteen girls in that room and they asked me about FGM and I said some of the most flippant things in my life because I thought this is almost fifteen years since I had FGM. Like what the fuck do you guys know about FGM? It's like like what? Like what are you talking about? And and I said, how many of you have ha- even know any FGM? Um, anybody with FGM? How many of you have even had it? Thinking like I wasn't intending on asking children about their f- yeah. like experience of violence. I just thought it's two thousand seven. I'm in Bristol. Like this is not going to happen. No, it's not going to have happened. Yeah, and thirteen out of the fourteen girls <gasps> had been cut. No, and. Oh, my God. I was just like, oh, my God, like, what is going on? And then... Wow. I, it was, honestly, it was
2: like... Oh, it, your stomach must have just plummeted. Oh, my God, that's incredible. I became
3: a seven-year-old myself, so I I started to... I wanted to cry, but I couldn't cry. Um, and then um, and then what happened was the fact that I went back into my um, office and I... I ironically at the time I was sitting on a safeguarding board and I and then we put some safeguarding um stuff together but then but, but then I still left without thinking I'm actually going to be the one that's going to lead this campaign because I thought like it's just too embarrassing I don't want to talk about my anatomy mm-hmm. my mum's like worked so hard for me to not be that FGM victim I'm just going to like get on and do something else so then what happened was I came to London and I was in another um senior position within the house um within the home office and I chose to volunteer within a, with the fgm organization and i met this young somali girl who had the same form of fgm <laughs> that i had it was infibulation and i sat with her and i said everything's going to be okay everything's going to be brilliant like you're fine there's not not not, not saying that any, like i had the same experiences as she did and then she invited me to um and she and and she and she just come um after being sectioned in the mental health act like, because she had a a really um, grave reaction to her um, re- reject. She, she was rejected by a Somali guy, ironically, okay. because she had FGM and that kind of thought, she said, but am I not Somali enough? So she had this um, reaction. And I'd in my head also just kind of come to the p- a space where I was gonna start dating English guys. So <coughs> I had my second date with the first ever English guy. And um, what happened was that she said, I've, I've got this event in, um, in East London, do you wanna come? And I thought, got this date. <laughs> But I said I'll bring him. flight, it's not gonna be that. It's not gonna be that intense. Um, and so she basically was like talking. Talk, talk, so she was late, and and the people that were there were basically like, "Where is she? Where is she?" And I said, Are you, "Have you been asked there like, is she okay?" Rather than, and then she came in late and they dragged her and they put her on the um, onto the stage wow. and she was hyperventilating, and I thought in that moment I thought my silence is so complicit that she has no idea that there's somebody that's in this room that's had the same experience as her only five years older than her that's almost over the other side of this whole experience so then I went on and I took her aside not knowing that her mic was still on and told her about my first experience I said like it's going to be okay like trust me this is going to be like you know it's, it's going to be fi- like you know it's, it's it's going to be great and all those other kind of things and then what happened was that the guy who i was with was there going, I we going out on a so tape. yeah so then i took him home and i had to explain to him like you know that it's fine there's like nothing like wrong with me and it's like you know it's something that happens to thousands of women like millions of women at the time um and and i said but maybe i really want to do something about it and he was living in putney at the time and it was like it was like a weekend or it was like a weekend day and i'd been like you know emailing like um the, all these like major organizations that work with women and none of them wanted to get um kind of come to me and it was really weird it was it was around 2011 12 i think um and i'm there in putney high street and there is the mayor of london Boris Johnson walks past i was like shit
2: this is a moment
3: i was like Do you know what I'm just gonna ask him because, like, if the people that I meant to be my tribe don't care, then maybe this, like, the mayor of London can do something. And I said, "Oh, I want to tell you um, about FGM." And he's like, "What's that?" And I said, "It's female genital mutilation." He's like, "Oh, that's horrific!" Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, here's 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 the card to my um, head of policing. And there's this guy called Kit Malhouse, who's one of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life. And I emailed Kit the next day. Kit messaged me back. And they and they basically were, were the first people to define FGM as violence against women and girls.
2: So already, people, the lefts uh, yeah. and the woke left's minds are blown because here is a Somalian Muslim girl, yeah. um, I'm not going to say a victim, uh, who has experienced, survivor, yeah. a survivor of FGM, who has found solace yeah. with the Tory mayor of London. And uh, who's <laughs> the only person who listened to you and took you seriously. Yeah. So t- at that point, wh- wh- when did you get your first kind of... When you were you able to? Did you think that's a disconnect and this is going to piss people off? No, but no,
3: because what I thought was the fact that I'm always happy to work with people. So the um I. Ironically, the ch- like you know the the thing about the Tories is that the fact that they're willing to take power, but they're also willing to work with everybody else. So the 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 chair of the Violence Against Women and Girls board was actually a Labour activist. So it was basically an independent board that that the mayor and his um, um, head of policing had had set up. So I was so then all those organisations that were, that were rejecting me were now having to listen because the fact that the mayor of <laughs> London, the police commissioner had all now said actually we really need to look at this as a form of Violence against women and girls, and we need to, like you know, end it because they kept in talking about eradicating FGM. Like it's not a virus. You don't, you don't, like you know, inject people <laughs> not to do it. It's a, it's, it's a conscious decision Absolutely. that people are making. So I saw that, but I, I was still, like you know, um, like you know, like I was still a member of the Labour Party. I was still, like you know, um, actively believing that that, like you know, that when 2015 came, that there will be probably, like you know, like whoever was going to be the leader was going to win. And then the more the kind of got it was just like it was just like it was just like that drip drip effect of people just being extremely dismissal of my like work and the things i was doing because i was working with tories because i was working with the lib Dems because i was working with the coalition government and i was like may i I happily work with
2: whoever's around the table but you're not around the table but it's that is you've hit the nail on the head the the, so when did the when were you aware of being trolled online on social media
3: yeah, so then, so then basically at the beginning, like, nobody knew who I was. I think it was, I think the main thing started off when I um, said that I was backing um, Zach Goldsmith as um. mayor of London. He always he always apologises for ruining my life. I was like, it was a choice that I made. And one that I made because I'd written to both him and Sadiq. And Sadiq didn't bother replying back to me.
2: Well, that, you see, there
3: you go. Yeah, so it's not like I said, oh, I'm going to, I Zach because he's a Tory and because he'd be a better mayor because he would have been a
2: better mayor. But I backed him because he wrote back to me. And now, why do you think Sadiq uh, didn't get back to you? You like, would have been the most fantastic... Po- I yeah. mean, cynically, you would have thought you'd yeah, be the poster girl everybody I think, have, but I, the left would want.
3: But I think one of the things is the fact that the left doesn't really want to deliver for ethnic minorities, and there's especially... Um, so they have this whole kind of conversation if they keep, keep talking about the miserable, how how miserable our lives are, then we're very unable to look up and see who's actually really oppressing us. Like... A lot of the shit that happened to me was not from the Tory Party. It was like, you know, it was it was the Conservative Party that that took my family in as refugees. It was a Conservative Foreign Secretary and ex-minister that came to greet my grandfather at the airport when he came from Somaliland. It was a Conservative Prime Minister that put on a girls' summit. It's a Conservative Prime Minister now that says that he cares about girls in the most vulnerable like places in the world.
2: So, what would you do to trolls who would say to you, you've also, you're backing a prime minister that talks about pillar box uh, women in pillar box uh, hijabs, uh, picking any smiles and all the whatever smiles"?
3: So I think I have those conversations all the time. I'm like, you, you have to read. And again, that was the thing with me and the Owen Jones kind of thing when people just shout at you. I'm like, oh, well, but, what happened with Owen? So, basically, uh, we, we, we had this political blind date. Um, Did you? You actually met him? God. So no, I. Do you know but the weird thing is? And I said to him, I said, Owen and I in 2010, when I was in Bristol, what were on the same side. There was a girl called Gemma who was standing to be a Labour. um, um, She was one of the one of the um, um, candidates for Bristol. He came and supported her, and I supported her as well. So we were having. So I said, I said, listen, I said, it wasn't me that left. It was you guys went. You guys went so far that I'm just actually confused. You guys, still, exactly. I'm, I, I'm still here as the new Labour things can only get better generation who actually believes in prosperity, progress and real equality. And that I've ironically found now within the centre, which is the Conservative Party are kind of holding. So I, um, so, so they did this thing, which is a political blind date. And he came and he just, just shouted at me and i just thought so 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 we were having a conversation about homophobia and i said and he said like you know that the prime minister in in a previous article from two like you know from 1998 had said this do i think that people searched that article from almost 20 odd years ago and said like you know using that as a slur or whatever the conversation is. I said like the fact that it was inappropriate language, I would not use it, but the context in however you want to describe yourself within the um, within the gay community, that's for you guys. So I said so we had this whole conversation of like the N word. I don't use the N word but it's in like rap songs it's all that. So context is fundamental. He was just like, is it homophobic? Is it homophobic? And I'm like, I'm not about to be dragged into something That you can now beat somebody who actually, I want to be the next prime minister. Mm -hmm. And it was so close to the election. And I'm just being like really guarded in that. And it was, and I think that is the problem is that a lot of these people, I just want to make things so black and white. Yeah, there's no nuance or debate. Exactly. And it's, and you can't live in a world like that.
0: Hello, I'm Jack Beaumont. I do crime club. In series one, I spoke to people like this.
2: Did you not kick a policeman in the head? Yeah, that was, when was that? I was 17. Wait, was I 17 or 19? I think I might have been 19, actually. In series two, I talked to people like this. There was a paedophile with one leg. I kicked him clean out of his wheelchair, but four of us, I mean, we battered him. And this. Cheated on your boyfriend to give him
1: gonorrhea? Do you want to go there would you rather not?
3: Yeah, no, 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 I can talk about
1: it. I have jingles like this. Crime Club, that's Crime Club, where strange people tell stories involving bad behaviour. New episodes out every Monday.
2: Tell me about being trolled online. How much uh, you, you know, I'm somebody that stood up against anti-Semitism yeah. and misogyny on the left, which was also my party. I felt my party left me, very much like you. The very people that I felt should be speaking out uh, on subjects were gaslighting and yeah. sort of not wanting to get involved, and on the contrary, being quite oppressive. So uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't openly define myself as, as a Tory. I would say, yeah. you know, centre-left. I'm sure, like you, yeah, but um what i do notice that you have been attacked but for a number of reasons yeah. politically but i and what, what are that for being a woman, a woman so, no, of colour? And also,
3: and also for like having conversations around like, you know, so secularism, it's like that whole conversation about the burqa, I think it was a very thoughtful piece talking about women and choice. And I live in a community where um, since um, 2011, like, you know, Islam has become an like, you know, an identity. It's meant to be a faith. It's meant to be a personal struggle. Is that kind of conversation. I showed somebody a picture of four or five um, me- members of my, like, you know, um, extended family wearing the burqa walking down the streets of cardiff i said is that okay and they're like no and i was like but why do you say that why do i have to be the one that has to go up against cage has to go up against all these kind of um like you know radical um men because the 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 idea is the fact that we talk about islamophobia and i said to somebody the other day a very obviously woke young black girl she said what about islamophobia um and i said to her "What, what, what is islamophobia define it to me i said the burqa is a political symbol. People that were the burqa do not believe in democracy. They don't believe in women's rights. They don't believe in gay rights. They don't, they, they're, they're anti-Semitic. They don't believe in the, the, the existence of of the state of Israel. I think it's a valid point for British people to say, we don't abide by those like, you know, views. People that, um, that, that that wear the burqa and follow that political ideology do not believe in the things that I say. And none of my f- um, friends or cousins or people that wear the burqa would live in a place where it's enforced. They wear the burqa here, chat shit, but yet not take responsibility for, for the fact that British people want to say, actually, we don't believe in those reg- regressive values that your political views hold. Is that Islamophobia? She's like, well, like, polygamy that's not cool, that's violence against women and girls. If I say I'm against polygamy, am I being Islamophobic? No. So, like, fuck off with the whole idea of the fact that anti-Semitism is that you're saying that a people of a faith and race shouldn't exist and shouldn't have the land to a homeland, or should have the right to a homeland. Nobody's saying that about Muslim people. Nobody's saying that the fact that Muslim communities should not be able to practise their faith. This country is one of the most tolerant countries in Europe, if not in the world. And the idea that we're sitting here, saying that the fact that it's okay for some, like you know, homophobic, regressive assholes, to stand outside of school and say a, a children with two loving parents who happen to be gay is not okay. That's not right. So, this idea of Islamophobia, which Baroness Varsi, who's I have no idea what she talks about. It's banging on about. It's like I'm, I'm like sad um, that like what does that mean? Like what is Islamophobia? Because there is nobody saying that you can't eat <coughs> halal meat. There is nobody saying like it's not a right wing conversation to say that this country has its values and these are the values of these country.
2: Do you get trolled from the right and the left?
3: Yeah, and that's what that's what the really funny thing is like with the Owen Jones lot. He was like the right. I'm like mate, the right hate me too. So it's not like I'm in the like. But the idea is the fact that when well-meaning decent people are silent. Then you give the space to the right to speak for issues.
2: This is what i this is what you kept singing out to me from you was that you kept saying, I'm standing. I'm standing because nobody else yeah. is doing this, and I am exactly who I am and what I am. So, how do you deal with trolls? Does it does it impact on you? Did, does any of their, does any of the haters, right, left, religious, whatever, um, ever impact on you? Mentally? Do you
3: know what it used to, but it doesn't anymore. To, to a certain extent, the fact that I've so the other day um, I I met this guy, and it's like I wasn't really into him, but then it, for for some weird reason, like you know, the kind of the coffee or the date or the meetup ended up um, going to this um, dinner party with somebody's birthday party. And on that, well, there was a girl who, like, trolled me.
2: Oh, really? Yeah, because of, like... like How do the, you know it was her? Because
3: I, I saw her face. Because the weird thing was that she came to an event that I did about my book and was talking to me about, oh, like, you know, being a progressive Muslim and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, this, she started going, like, you know, this whole Owen Jones misinterpreted me being homophobic. I'm like, I am... Do, do you know, it's... It's really funny how, like, you know, just because they dislike me for my political neutrality, actually I'm not neutral, I'm just consistent in what I believe in. I don't waver. Yeah. Um. It's really funny, it was like, um, Somali people who are some of the most, um, or like people from the Islamic left who are some of the most homophobic people, started going, oh, you're a homophobic. I'm like, mate, you were posting pictures <laughs> about stoning gay people two weeks ago. And then Owen oh, would, Jones would would use those people as allies. So it's just this whole point of the fact that actually they have no morals and they have no kind of values in terms of their political points. If I want to, like, like in 2015, when um, every single political party had a manifesto pledge on FGM, I told UKIP to fuck off because I was like, I don't need you to be on. So the whole point is that I do want to get things done, but I want to get it done in a position where... It's actually about credibility yeah. and it's about really protecting I totally girls. Hear you. And then at the same time, I could work with the Conservative Party on something but then hold them accountable on other stuff so I don't have to agree with you exactly. 100% it's more
2: nuanced than that but we
3: can work together as political leaders as people who are real uh, you know, advocates of change exactly. let's work together I'm not going and to And if dismiss- it comes from
2: the left that's great
0: as well Yeah, yeah
3: exactly
2: so, so so that's the whole thing and if like
0: So yeah. just, sorry go yeah. back to this
2: dinner party so you're sitting there and you're thinking I know that face and I know that person Yeah, so I just said hello So what did you do?
3: I just said hello because the whole point is the, like, you know so I just rise above it and I bump into these people because they, they think there's so Clever and woke behind their keyboards, and I was like, "We're gonna bump into the same space because, mate, I'm not who you think That's I am." Incredible. Yeah. So, so how did that go? Nothing, because she didn't talk to me, and I just thought it was quite funny. And I thought this is why I need a column because I want to be able to talk about the people that you I need I, a column. You that
2: need I, a column.
3: That I. That I. Um, so sorry. Yeah. You met,
2: oh, sorry, this is fascinating. This is like meeting a fairy at the bottom of the garden. You actually met a real troll in real life. Yeah.
3: I met. I met. I ran into another one. So there was <laughs> there was her and this and, and the guy which she was like commenting on, and he's like um, a gay right activist is from Nigeria who actually I defended and I supported him when he was in Kenya and all this stuff and he started to go like you know he said there's always going to be that one black girl there's always going to be that one like basically and he said this online online
2: and then what happened in real life
3: and then I saw him again we we're a member of this like you know socially conscious club together and I just looked at him and I just like and what did he say? Nothing. He didn't say anything because the whole is like he was just so shocked. He was like, how can you be in a space which is meant to be that's for? A... <sighs> so they're everywhere. So it's like my trolls are not. My trolls that's are not made my yeah. day.
2: So they're in real life. They're stumped. They can't speak. No. The fact that you're even entering their amazing woke pious world when they've demonised yeah. you just blows their brains. Which just goes to prove that real life is so much more complicated than the stupid keyboard worrying. You know, warriors fighting what they think yeah. is evil.
3: And that's why I've kind of like in the last like since the. Um, and i was i was on a like like joining a dating app like you know i have to be very clear about the fact that i'm not interested in a jeremy Corbyn supporter or like <laughs> a, a apologizer and so the other day there was they were like oh um name like the most precious things to you or the most and i said um Sleep, family, niece, cousins, um, exit polls of 2019. Just to make sure that they know. <laughs> I had that, to that say, was, uh,
2: you're unbelievably... I can't believe you're... Well, I mean, you know, life is going to throw you... Uh, yeah, You're walls. stunningly beautiful. Oh, thank you. Super intelligent. So interesting. Do you... Um, just because, again, I think a lot of people who listen to this uh, get a lot of um, strength. Yeah. How to, so how do you deal with, uh, with, with trolls? Do you block them? Do you engage? Do you talk?
3: Yeah, I do like, you know, I do um, block them and I do mute them. And there are are some people who actually, um, because I think sometimes blocking them means that you can't see like other kind of dangerous stuff that they're saying. And I think that's the fundamental thing. And it was really interesting recently. um, I I agreed. And this is the thing is like sometimes I think I'm going to stop doing that more. I just think um, it's it's especially young people. I really want to be able to go into a space and say that you actually. I could have know, misunderstand me and let's have this conversation because I'm I really am very concerned specifically about young Somali people who are like in some of the best universities doing really well. The shit they put out online. I was like, mate, I would not hire you for any senior political position or any position within a, um, a FTSE 100 company, all the things like that yeah. you're going for, because the things you put out there, especially around the election, were just so...
2: Is that because they're radicalised and they're not taught to see things from a wider periphery? Yeah,
3: and, it's, and I just think it's a <coughs> thing, I think that there must be like a, a very gang mentality. I'm sure, like, you know, we wrote things on toilet walls. Mm. <laughs> it's like, it's that whole kind of, like, stuff. But some of the things that I, for me, I sometimes I just think, actually, maybe I should cross over and have these conversations. And it was really interesting because it was just... It it was just before a week before the um, election and my brother was standing in Cardiff so I went up and kind of um, campaigned for him and then I was going to come back here and do, do this event with um, with um, one of the student unions in London a Somali student union and it was funny when he sent me the lineup there was six of us and all five were very right, like, left-wing, like, Corbynistas and stuff like that. And he said, oh, you're the only Tory. I'm like, but, mate, I'm not a Tory. You're not, exactly. I said, said, but I said, fine, fair fair, fair enough, I'll come. And and the young person who organised it was very much like, I know this can seem like a trap, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, fine, I will give you the benefit of the doubt. And then just before um, I came, I searched my name, and I do that. And I just thought, all these kids will, I just, like, egging themselves up egging themselves up and just kind of getting it and for me like the trolling is not necessarily the physical thing that I I live in fear of it's the physical element of it because I do like I said I'm in a space where I know a lot of these people. I know I'm in a space where, in a community, I get trolled by. It's like it's the Somali community. It's the Muslim community. It's the, these are people who are who can tangibly do me harm. And I think so. It's is, less online. It's how it it's, then spills
0: into real. Yeah, life.
3: and I think and it can and it just takes one person to um, to dehumanize me in order for him to think oh, I'm going to get some kind of um some like, you know extra points for like, you know, killing you or doing something.
2: One of the reasons that I spoke out online is uh, because I could begin to I began to see how, you know, online that's where people were radicalized yeah. and the dehumanization yeah. of ideas and and, and people. Uh, spills into yeah. a Christchurch mosque, uh, yeah. s- synagogues, you know, the daubings that happened in Bellsize Park yeah. the other day all over at my local synagogue yeah. and um, you know you, you sort of dehumanize and I I think it takes people like you and I that that, that challenge what people think we're going to be yeah Uh to break into these echo chambers, and it's all about education. So do you find that you're able to gird your loins, as it were, in the same way that you do online? Say, right, I'm looking up my name to see what's being said about me. I'll block or I'll engage. Can you do the same in real life with thinking, I'm going into a hostile environment where these people have a perception of me? how do you then deal with it yeah
3: i've done that for like a long time and that was like that was like going back like you know going into african countries and like you know facing these um leaders and everything else but it's just like ultimately i think in the last like you know it it does have a mental toll on you and i think it does have a physical toll cause like between twenty twelve and all the way to about twenty sixteen, my I you know, I basically lost contact with most of my family because they were like, "Why are you putting yourself in this position?" and and for me, I don't talk about the FGM situation. It was like me and my sister were both cut at the same time, so I was in telling my story, I was telling her story and she wasn't ready to talk about those things. So I was putting a lot of my own kind of safety and relationships in jeopardy because of the fact that I was thinking I was, I you know, I had a role and I had a privilege to do that. And I did, I was in situations where I, you know, it was really scary and it takes a lot to kind of build up that courage and just to be like, to be, to, to be brave. But now I've just got to this point where it's like, it's not like you know i will i will always cross over it's always easier i think the 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 the, the um the, and the last time i did something where i crossed over which was easy was when um after the referendum after the 2016 referendum i hadn't really engaged with anybody that was voting leave i was like fuck this shit cuz i was in that space as well and even like you know, it doesn't matter how non tribal you think you are you can sometimes become lazy so it's about self um it's about self um um, holding yourself accountable as well. Right. I had never met anybody that voted Leave or talk was what was talking about Leave, and I did believe in the perception that it was all Nigel Farage and like all these other yeah, kind yeah. of weirdos, <laughs> and um, and I met some young people who who believed in their country and who believed in the, in the fact that like you know that the UK was better outside of Europe. I might have not have agreed with them 100, percent but then as as time went on, I'm like they have the, they have the right in a democracy to have voted how they did and they have the right in a democracy to win and i know when we don't accept the voices of those who are like you know the like you know the most marginalized and feel like they're not getting their share of the bit. i know what happens and i don't want anarchy and i don't want discru- um destruction and i think that was for me the next thing that was um similar to that was like just the flippiness of the anti-semitism as the fact that well it's not that there's not that many jewish people in this country so therefore like you know it's fine like it'll be okay it's not like we're going to recreate the holocaust again and i thought it's the canary down the mine <laughs> yeah absolutely it's, it's the first bit because they it's like, it's it's the dehumanizing the Jewish community, then it's women, then it's other. And I'm like, mate, even if you don't care about, like, you know, your Jewish neighbors and, like, you know, colleagues and friends, at least do it for self-preservation. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, you are going to be the one, like, you know, so there was that whole thing of, like, when, when they finally came for me, there was nobody else to speak mm-hmm. up. And I'm very much aware of that whole, whole, whole point of you can disagree with somebody, but the de- to dehumanize somebody is something that I saw growing up in the like the kind of the creation of civil war and it's something that really like petrifies me and that's why I think this election was like one of the most petrifying things I've ever been through at 945 on election day, I was petrified. I was, I'd I'd never been that scared in my, well, I had actually, I had been that scared. I was, I was six and a half and there was bombs being dropped by a dictator who was calling us, um, ironically, the Jews of the horn because like, just like the Jewish community, my, um, like the Somaliland is all from one clan. So we're all like very, like, you know, it's, it's, it's the same kind of bloodline and that was the kind of like, the rhetoric that's kind of used. And I think that was also really interesting in a lot of, um, since since the freedom of movement, the larger part of the Somali community is from the south. Right. And they have a massive issue with um, us from the north because of that whole connection with um, ironically, us being the Jews of the is of that what Af- they used to call you? Yeah, like yeah, it. they still do. They still like you know call us like the Jews of the Horn, and it's something because um, Israel was almost set, set up in Somaliland because it, it was either Palestine or That's Somaliland, right, yeah. and I always say that to a lot of my Jewish um, friends that it would have been more fun. could have made some cute babies. Sometimes. Oh, really? Cute. I know. So it's just, but yeah. Oh. So it's it's something that I think I think <laughs> I I gain like you know I think to be brave in the face of so much.
2: My God, but you're really brave. I mean, you've 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 walked the walk. I mean, your whole life has been about walking the walk and and you have taken it from all sides. So you've got the Brexiteers on your yeah. case. You've got the Leave, the Remainers on your case. You've got the Left on your case because you should have been their poster girl yeah. and you rejected their the woke simplicity yeah. and piety of their argument. Uh, some of the right wouldn't like what you stand no. for. You spoke out on anti-Semitism on the left, um, at, well, and generally, which yeah. I guess your some Muslim communities would see as a, as a betrayal of, yeah. of their... Them, you don't confine, conform to um, you're a, a kind of a good Somalian yeah. Muslim girl. So you've got I it coming. I talk about my
3: anatomy, so
2: it's like you know. Yeah, so come, like, you're getting it from all sides.
3: Yeah, but, but I think one of the things I was gonna get um, printed on a, on a thing. What, what did he say? What did he say? Um, a Jew loving whore. I was like, that's quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that could be. That could be a good like you know because it is that whole thing. A, a Jew loving. Tory whore, that was a Jew loving Tory whore. Are you a Brexiteer as well? No, but I'm just like I'm a Democrat. So I voted Remain.
2: A Jew loving whore. That's nice. A Jew loving Tory whore. Okay, I'm a Rothschild. I'm a Rothschild. Zio baby killing shill. See
3: so, yeah, it, yeah. So but I thought I might get that on that's t- a T-shirt. L- that's a lovely yeah.
2: one. <laughs> I feel like I've met my spirit animal. You, I admire you so Thank much. Thank you very much. Just because, just for everything you yeah. are, because you've you've come up against so much physically and mentally but you've completely defined who you are and been true to yourself and I hope people listening to this young women at school yeah. whatever your color religion yeah. you know a- anything political outlook it's just about what would you say your your the things you've learned in your life till now which has given you the strength to be I think I th- OBE.
3: <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think keep questioning I think keep questioning and um also the fact that just listen to that voice like like you know as quiet and as dim and as distant as it sounds there is something in your gut that really like you know tells you that and I think for me um, it was like the whole kind of um, being gluten-free and all these other kinds of stuff is different. But like listening, there, there has always been like this sixth sense that I've always kind of felt like this is not okay or this is like, like, you know, I don't really believe in this. And also forgive yourself because I think we're all, we all make mistakes. And, uh, and I think there is no such thing as there's perfection and there is massive, like, you know, value and strength in being vulnerable. I think, that, so if I was going to tell myself anything, I would say actually just be more vulnerable. And the idea, the fact that because I was coming against so much, it was just like I just I really wanted to be resilient and I wanted to keep standing and I thought you know what sometimes it's okay to fall apart and pick yourself back up than it is to kind of just keep going against the wind and the shit
2: and it's like you know it will get better it will they, like you know nothing lasts forever I think that's one that's of the key beautiful. things beautiful and I think for, in terms of You know, so many people say, I'm scared, you know, I once put my head above the parapet and I got trolled and I couldn't take it, so I ran, you know, I just couldn't take it, you're so brave. I think you're absolutely right. Allow yourself to feel, you know, ow, that hurt, but be brave enough to keep standing for it but and keep also checking that you're doing it for the right reason. Yeah,
3: and also don't hold grudges, because I think it's a lot easier to, like, smile at somebody that trolls you. So this is the kind of thing, and I think that's, like, you know... Maybe because I'm from... that I'm in a smug position and the fact that, like, there's a massive majority against... Like, the world came out against Jeremy Corbyn, and I was like, fuck you, I told you, um, kind of thing. I think maybe I've got that kind of ability to now be humble and, like, you know, and, and like, look over to the um, other side and start, like, you know start like, you know, connecting because it was really interesting how many messages I got on the Friday. Oh, I, I got those. Did yeah. people say you were
2: right or I'm sorry or... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: Should, yeah. We, should we work together now? Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Because I because my job is about protecting the most vulnerable people in the world. I'm not going to be petty. Yeah. But it's like, it's fine. And I just couldn't hide the grin on my face. It was just like, I was just like so, so happy. And one of the most surreal things happened um, on the night of the election, which I will remember forever. And because um, what's interesting is that a lot of the shit that i've been getting has been from both people of color non-color like white like trans again that's another whole conversation it's oh, like yeah. i literally i can't win but the whole point is like i'm not trying to win um it's um so what happened was um, it was the rally when the prime minister was about to give his um speech and everything else and i was in this green room with four secretaries of state of color wow and and there was like, and it was really interesting because like Priya Patel walked in, she's like really happy, and I was like congratulations, like you guys actually did it, and um and then we were all standing there and 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 so on the one and then somebody said because they, obviously they've all
2: been getting trolled for being like you know um, Tory uh, ministers and stuff, and he said oh um well you have Kerry Mendoza of the Canary actually saying that they weren't considered to be people of yeah. colour
3: anymore, and she's just like but that's the whole point it's like you can be like I can be privileged enough to literally forget. The horrors that my family face exactly. and the socialism, but I won't because it's the whole point of it's just like it's just kind of ridiculous. well, she preemptively blocked me without me blocking. Her. I didn't know who the hell she was. um I saw her saying something about me, and then I tried to look her up again, that's another thing about blocking people on Twitter. You can't really look to, look up what they're saying about you but um so 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 one of them said, Oh, this is not bad for a few chalk ices, and i said i get i I keep being called a coon. what's a coon?" <laughs> And their faces, because they lived through real, actual racism of the 70s and the 80s and the National Front. And I will never forget, like, you know, how hurt, like, you know, um, the the Chancellor looked. He was like, are you okay?" And I said, weird enough, I get it called by black people. So then I Googled it, like, the next day, because I was just like, because for me, there was no, weirdly enough, um, I've only ever been called the N-word once, and and then I was confused because he was a Polish guy. I was like... What like were what you talking about? Um, but I've never really experienced like that kind of very aggressive racism. Um, obviously, I get like you know, minute um, racism every day. I know the passive aggressive kind of bullshit, but that's fine. It's not fine, but you just kind of learn to live with those things. But I just thought so so, so. so then I googled it, and it's like a coon used by black people to black people is someone that's so internalized in their whiteness that they uh. might. Re- And then I remember the first ever person to troll me um, from the left on um, Twitter was um, Lee Jasper. Remind
2: me, I know the name. So he was. So he was. He
3: he was was Ken Livingston's like deputy mayor. Oh yeah. So he was a mixed race guy who um, he said to me, "Black face, white soul." I was like, I was like, what, mate? I'm African. I was like, what are you talking about? Like. I come from, like, a lineage of men that founded countries. Like, I don't need to prove my blackness to you. But that was the first, actually, that was around 2013. What what I found in that was, like, a lot of my very, my white liberal friends were, like, too scared to intervene in two black people having a thing. I'm like, but he's being racist. And he's having, because I must have said something about dating a white guy. And he was offended by me dating white men. Oh, and let's be
2: honest. There's a huge misogyny in it as well. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. So it was just like it was just so. Um, I must have made like a flip-on
2: comment about like you know. That's quite early doors. That tr- was. Trolling, cause yeah, I always thought it came around two fifteen. 2. No, 16. no, no, no.
3: So that's for me. That was like because because I again like you know like you know Ken Livingston had lost a second like time in um, in the mayoral election. So like I think I think that I think a lot of things shocked them. Like a two-term, like Tory um mayor candidate shocked them and they and then they had to blame anybody and obviously I was the first person to kind of like I was like I quite like Boris Johnson, he's a good mayor. It's like ah I was like, oh my God, like calm down. It's like we just had the Olympics, it's amazing. Like let's yeah, just yeah, yeah. let's just chill. Um so yes yeah, so it was really I think it was like really interesting in the in the sense of how like you know they always have to look for somebody like you know that went against their own.
2: So people who will be listening to this I'm sure will be going crazy saying how can she sit there and talk about pretty potential as if Pretty Patel is, a, is somebody that she likes and admires. Yeah. Uh, you know, when look at all her immigration policy and what she stands for, yada, yada, yada. What would you answer back to that? If I just, that was
3: online so you know like i always say that the personal is political but i also know these people and the reality is that the fact that like i said i never idolize to any, i never idolize anybody to the point that is so hero worshiped that i can't criticize them and i can and, and i never de- dehumanize somebody to the point where they actually are not seen to have any humanity and stuff like that i really like i really like pretty i think she's really funny um i've got I've got a lot of time for her. I've got a lot of time for all the secretaries of states in this um, thing. Even, like, one of the things that people don't understand is that I've sat around and had conversations, like, you know, with Jacob Rees-Mogg, we, we've hosted an event together in his con- constituency. We don't agree on abortion. But that's t- that whole thing is that like, we can fight those things in terms of, like, if, if there ever came a decision that we would try to restrict women's access to contraception rights, which is, like, um, which abortions are access to health, I'd fight... I, I, I'd fight him on that. But is he a decent person? I think he is.
2: Would, and what about people like, who I would have thought would have been your natural allies, um, uh, Diane Abbott and Dawn, Dawn Butler? What, See, have you worked with them at all?
3: Well, it's quite funny. So um, Dawn Butler and I had like a really interesting... So I did this podcast, um, I think in like, late 2017 early 2017 um so so i met um um jeremy hunt in 2012 to try to try to get data around fgm and he asked a really inappropriate question um and i didn't say anything about that because i really needed to work with them so so the whole point is that the, the political work i do i know how politically sensitive it is so i'm happy to work with people i'm happy to kind of um to kind of, to keep certain things out of the media and and, and stuff like that happens. So so then I did this podcast like, you know, um, in 2017 when I was in a, I was in a really good place. The fact that um, Theresa May had just become prime minister. It was like, I thought we were gonna get like Brexit then we were gonna still focus on like other stuff. And I did this um, thing and without talking to me don butler so i said so jake um not jacob um jeremy hands asked me whether i could still have an orgasm or not as the first direct question to me about my fgm experience and i had like a a real like you know good comeback to it because it's something that everybody always asks so without reaching out to me as the woman who not only experienced the fgm shared the story (laughs) experienced the whole thing Don Butler took it her upon himself to write a letter on my behalf,
2: demanding an apology. so bloody patronizing. Exactly. It's so patronizing. And I was like,
3: and she'd never written to me about FGM, never wanted to do anything. Like, she lives in um, Brent,
2: which is like. So she didn't uh, but- even reach out to you first? No. That was <laughs> so rude. So
3: that is the thing. And then Diane Abbott is exactly the same. It's it's the fact they that... Wanna they want to use you. Yeah, they're, and they're so condescending and they can't, like... It's just, like, the, the whole point is, like, I will always respect Diane Abbott for being the first mm. um, black woman to be elected to... to mm-hmm. um, to um, to the House of Commons. Yeah, but and she, for that she was yeah, amazing. Yeah, so for so that just, but but right now the way that she stands and things that she, she does does she actually contribute to how Black women are seen as a as a progressive uh, women that achieve things in the UK? No, I totally, like, I, I totally agree
2: with you. I totally agree with you. I I and I think the thing is the funny thing is I think we have this sort of alignment you and I, and I keep saying it is um I had a you know I I didn't hate Jeremy Corbyn when he yeah. was first. Uh, I might st- have actually voted for him indirectly. I think, yeah, actually, sort of, I think so, and I think back in that I'm older than you. Obviously, yeah. when I was at university, I knew men like Jeremy. I knew of Jeremy through militant, but I knew that that very white male militant kind of mindset was yeah. was not a particularly positive one for women or minorities no. unless it was their minority of choice. The thing that shocked me the most was I was always taught when somebody in a minority speaks out about feeling that there is prejudice or oppression, you listen to them. Yeah. You don't interpret. You don't gaslight. And I was constantly being told that I was imagining it, that it was bullshit, that I was politicizing it, that I had a hidden agenda. Have we have so many similarities yeah. for our, ex- I mean, in our experiences online yeah. and, and how we've sort of dealt with yeah. it? Did you have that as well with people taking your ex- your lived experience yeah. and turning it into what they wanted it to be? Oh
3: my god, that's always like the reinterpretation of like the horror of FGM. I was like, well, it wasn't like really that. So everybody, so it was, um, there's a, there, there, there's a like it was always. Um, twisted like everybody wanted to know about my story of fgm they always wanted to use me they wanted me to come and speak at the events but they never wanted to do anything to help <laughs> and i think that i think that is quite problematic in the sense that and, and i was very conscious of that whole kind of conversation i would always say i'm sharing my story i'm not sharing the story of every single somali girl so it's not for you so, so there was a really interesting and, and there's like the lack of sensitivity yeah. i think it's like nobody and like you know they see you as nimiko but then they don't see like the fact that you have the same experiences as everybody else. Therefore, you need to be treated sensitively. So they so so, so, so so they did that, and this whole point of, as though they were doing me a favor and talking about my experience to me. And for me, what I understood from it's the other end, and yeah, as I think othering. and I think that's what I understood from the whole anti-Semitism. It's the whole point of the fact that, but look how well you guys have done now. Anyway, it's not really an issue. It's not like, yeah. it's not it's not like the nineteen thirties and forties can happen again. Yeah. Exactly, And I was just thinking, but it actually can. And I think my first, like, really insight into that was the 2017 election where I stood as a Women's Equality Party candidate in, in, in Hornsier Wood Green and going to... Uh, There were two people who were, it was like me as a a black woman, a feminist, who was kind of like, I don't think I can vote Labour. And then the other people that couldn't vote Labour were the Jewish community. So I think I met, I think like six or 700 people voted for me and they were all young women or Jewish lawyers from the area. (laughs) So I've met every single, like, you know, my kind of um, constituency was that because I just thought, this is just not okay, And also in a place where you're meant to feel... I, you know protect it the idea the fact that you have to have police
2: and you have to have security guard outside synagogues it's just like but that's always been my lived that's my lived experience yeah. in mean, fact funny enough i went somewhere recently and, and an mp's um, assistant came up. somebody i've been quite critical of came up to me and said i want to slap you around the face because you're making my mp's life so hard and i said well he's my mp as well yeah I think we know who it is now yeah. he's my MP and I've yeah. been to him numerous times to maybe speak out against the abuse that I've been getting from members of the Labour Party and he hasn't done anything and she said that is an absolute lie I don't believe that you've had that experience and I said but it's my experience yeah. I mean she said well I just want to slap you hard and uh, it's that kind of blindness but it's you, the
3: same thing I get. so really like reacting to that is the whole point of like people can't think that I've had any any kind of FGM because of the fact that I'm so... Like, oh, my God, you've had FGM, but you're so, like... Yeah. <laughs> you're so together. I was like, well, I'm not going to... Like, you know, it happened... Actually, literally, almost, like, 29 years ago. So wow. it was almost 30 years ago. So I'm not about to fall apart. So there is that whole thing of people just... Like, they're like, tell me the horror. Tell me how it's still, tell like... Tell me the horror. Tell me that it's... like I'm like, there's nothing, yeah. like... Unless I'm on a period, there's nothing bleeding down there. Let's just, like,
2: yeah. <laughs> get over it. Nimko Ali, OBE. Thank you. It's I... I have so much respect for you no, Thank you. Very I'm much. so happy to meet you in person you represent so much of a world view that I, that I believe in you've taken your experience you've turned it into something incredibly positive you believe in education you have a wide peripheral vision conversation
3: I, I believe in conversation com- yeah
2: and not to hold grudges yeah. to listen and if it's abusive you block yeah. uh, you take it as far as you can keep a smile just everything about you I, I adore thank you so much for coming on thank forward. you for having me And that's that for another episode of Troll. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Could you do me a favour? Make sure you subscribe and rate and review us. Apparently that's a thing. And I'll be back next week with another guest. See you soon.
3: GreatBigOwl.com
2: Get
0: yourself some gas and
2: air and breathe deeply. We're talking on the phone while he had his arm inside my
1: vagina.
0: In my head, I was saying, Could you go and see if the anaesthetist is free? And what I was actually saying out loud was, Help me! CD player doesn't work. I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry! Why am I fucking CD player?
2: Where's my that playlist? That's One Torn Every Minute with me, Beth Murray. Available now from Great
0: Big Owl. Help me!